Hey friends, welcome to the Droning On Podcast. I'm excited for you to be able to enjoy the episode today. If you enjoy it half as much as I enjoyed making it, you're going to have a great time. Today my guest is my good friend uh, Jeremy Kingsbury. He runs the Way Too Twog Bagpipe and History Podcast. We've got a few links to episodes that come up in this interview uh, in the show notes. Uh, we're also talking about his album that he recently put out called Pay the Pipe Maker. I'll also have links to that down below. Um, and that uh, album, a physical copy of that album, is the prize this month um, over at our Patreon page. Uh, about every month we do a drawing amongst all patrons, and um, they get a prize. And this month the prize is a physical copy of this album. So might be worth checking that out. That's over there at uh, patreon.com slash droningonpodcast. Um, what else? You can also buy stuff from my little online shop, bagpipeswag.com. There's cool bagpipey stuff on there. And drummy stuff. I don't forget about the drummers. Um, and if you want to follow the show on Facebook, we're on there. Just search for Droning On Podcast. If you like Instagram more, then there's a Droning On Dot, excuse me, Droning Dot On Dot Podcast. That's us on, on Instagram. And you can always email into the show at the Droning On Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, I'll get out of the way. Enjoy the interview. Enjoy the music. Jeremy's a really cool guy, and he makes some great music. So have have fun. Bye. My daughter loves this song and she loves to dance to it. And like, she's, she's a little kid and she's done like ballet classes and stuff like that. Um, but this one, she just loves to spin, just That's spins awesome. and spins and spins. And I do like, maybe it's because of watching her do that, but it, it does feel to me like I can, I can dig that. Like, it's like, it's kind of a whirling dervish kind of, kind of feel to this, this hornpipe anyway. Um, maybe that's just me, but it, it, it does make me think like if, if this child, who doesn't know anything of musical genres, etc., feels to stand and, and dance when this song is played, doesn't that speak to the original intent of this song, you know? Or at yeah, least the, the, the form, you know? Like, right. was the intention always to make people dance? Um, isn't so, that always... Isn't that, isn't that the intention of every... I don't... Yeah, that's... That's, that's cool. <laughs> that's yeah. really cool. And your daughter has some, like, dance training, too, so it's not like... Like any any kid, their default dance is kind of to just spin around in circles for a yeah. lot of stuff, right? But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that your that your daughter has some like classical training, and that is her choice for that that tune. Is kind of that's cool. the thing, yeah. Other other songs, she does a lot of like sort of the like leap to the side, leap to the side, raise your arms, you know, kind of kind of more what looks like sort of like Western um, um, structured uh classical dance you know but this yeah. one nope it's like right back to the caveman day she's just spinning it just feels it's the right harp. it's the jaw harp that does maybe it, that's I'm it sure, right? maybe it's the jaw harp yeah, <laughs> yeah. but and, and actually mentioning the jaw harp maybe t- tell me a little bit about the jaw harp have you done me- much like deep thinking about um you know reeds and how they developed and and what it's like like this like family of reed instruments that you're bringing together with your illin pipes and border pipes and jaw harp on this track where it's like it's almost like grandpa and a couple of cousins all playing together you know what i mean no i hadn't i hadn't thought about that at all uh it's i feel i feel stupid for not thinking about reeds that way and like i think i i have a phobia of reeds like as an (laughs) Ellen piper yeah isn't particularly uh detail oriented 
yeah. my reads just scare me. Like they're just a thing of mystery. Um, yeah, I and, just pray that they keep working. Right. Yeah. It's like the the most yeah, <laughs> just the, the most religious I ever am is like, uh, is it gonna <laughs> is the read gonna work another day? Um, yeah. <laughs> and so I hadn't really thought about the relationship. For me, it was all just uh, you know, you know, it's it's the time period I'm interested in. Yeah. Um, I like bagpipes, and then for. I started playing jaw harp just because it was such a common trade item, like in the fur trade, like in terms of musical instruments in North America, uh, it was probably the most common thing. Like I didn't know that. I mean, it makes sense. It's simple and you can put it in your pocket, right? But... Right. It's like, uh, you know, we used to joke that like uh, jaw harps are to voyagers what harmonicas are to cowboys kind of thing. Nah, but I, sure. the thing is too, I think jaw harps persisted even as harmonicas became popular. I think they're, they were still around and yeah. it was kind of a, a surprise when, um, because I think of jaw harps as such a item of the kind of American and Canadian fur trade. Yeah. Um, it was sort of surprising to see how big a part of, um, Scottish music it was too. Mm. Um, and, but again, it's, it's a, it's an impoverished instrument too. So mm-hmm. like the, the, the big thing, you know, I've, I've got that, um, in Patrick McDonald's, that the essays in front of Patrick McDonald's collection from 1784 or whatever, um, the essay mentions that St. Kilda, you know, everybody just sings there. The only instrument they have being the trump or the jaw harp. And, oh, I didn't uh, know that that was the, that, that when he, when he says the trump, that that means the jaw harp. Yeah. Oh, I should have mentioned that. Yeah. Yeah. Jaw harps have so many stinking names, right? Um, they do. Yes. And some yeah. of them I've also, I've, I've, I've wondered like, are we allowed to say that? Is this, mm-hmm. is this politically acceptable right. at present? Yeah, the, the Jews harp is, <laughs> yeah. uh, it's, that's how it shows up most often. Um, I kind of like the explanation. Like, it's such a funny thing too, where people try to figure out what the name meant and you can kind of hear like this is a child's interpretation of another word. Mm. I I like jaw harp because like that's describing sort of what the thing is. Yeah, it's actually not a term that probably was used historically too much. But my favorite explanation of the the Jews harp is that a child like would call it a juice harp because of somebody playing it and kind of um, slobbering over getting all slobbery. <laughs> right, that <laughs> it's it's actually a juice a juicy uh, it's a juicy harp. <laughs> it's a juicy harp. Um, but yeah. Uh, but yes, that that's, that's sort of how it started. And then um, yeah. when I realized, like, I, I had, so I, I bought all these jaw harps that are, you know, uh, look like fur trade ones, so mm. tiny and uh, not really tuned, um, like Morjangs or whatever. And it doesn't, uh, do I still have you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm oh, just okay. I'm just enjoying the, yeah, carry on. Yeah. Sorry, my computer. It's funny. I've, I've definitely heard other guests on the show be like, wait. Oh, my computer just went to sleep. Ah, uh, um, yes, yep. Clean anyway, I, I had this uh, right. I had this Jaws harp, uh, and it didn't really play to pitch with any of my pipes. And then um, after talking with uh, Dave Barrett, who's a, a cool dude and a piper out east someplace, um, kind of around Washington D.C., but he, you know, he was talking about taking classes with Alan McDonald and talking about Jaw harp. And I was like, "What? I can I can do mm. this stuff? <laughs> like this is allowable? Mm. I can I can add jaw harp?" And um, yeah. so then I, I figured out that one of my jaw harps is sort of close in pitch to a whistle I had, um, and then I just ordered one that was um, pitched in A. And now at this point, I'm like, I think I, I got to get a D one too because the mm-hmm. like the A the A jaw harp sounds fine with inland pipes so long as border pipes are also going, <laughs> but like. Mm. 
it doesn't sound great if it's just Illin pipes and, mm-hmm. and an A whistle and an A jaw harp. But yeah, yeah. Well, I I didn't know that there was any precedent for the use of jaw harp in uh, in Scottish music until I heard you doing it, and so yeah. I appreciate the the passing on of the epiphany because. Um, it's it's brought some joy and that's and that's because of that so so for years i also had just like this this little a tiny cheap little um jaw harp that i thought was that was all a jaw harp was you know and it wasn't until listening to you play jaw harp that i went oh that sounds cooler and started doing some digging and now i have i only have one decent jaw harp but i like it a lot it's it is in d and it it rumbles i love that that low low sound yeah i kind of i went on a i I feel foolish because i i bought a I bought a Russian one. I can't remember what they're called. Um, yeah, they're, they're, there's like there is that like I think is what they're called Vargans maybe. Um, but and it's it's cool. It's got that big like. Yes. It's like that meditative uh, <laughs> yeah. stuff that people yeah, do totally. for, for like trance playing. That's great. Um, but it, you know, it, it's I, I used it for a while on like the bonus episode intro stuff, and it, it shows up on earlier episodes of the podcast. And mm-hmm. that once I got a just a morjang uh an a i was like okay i'm gonna quit playing the lighthouse this this is not like this sound <laughs> that's not really a good folk music sound it puts <laughs> like, me it puts me more in the mind of uh daft punk <laughs> yeah yeah something yeah something like that and it's uh yeah i love it i love it but it's yeah. uh it's hard to hard to make it work there but there's a cool uh cormac begley did a um irish traditional music archive for itma has these cool going to the well series that are kind of really high production value videos um of just gifted artists uh, mm. musicians kind of playing through tunes and talking about the history of the tunes um they had an episode on jack latin which was awesome and um anyway but, but cormac begley who's this amazing kind of box player concertina player um he did one about jaw harp and irish music too which is um kind of neat to see how how common it is you know it's such Mm -hmm. a it's such a useful instrument to just have around um and of course with you know the benefit of microphones and things you can make them loud enough to to match right uh, to play along with pipes (laughs) yeah recorded recorded piping but yeah yeah i'm kind of glad to to go back to mr preston's hornpipe a little bit i'm i'm glad your daughter likes that track i almost cut it um Mm. because i don't like mr preston's hornpipe is a tune i absolutely love it was my first exposure to um pete stewart i guess uh was seeing when i was looking around for 18th century music he had a youtube video up of him playing it and i think it was called 18th century hornpipe or something which is how it Mm. showed up on my search results um and you know years before i don't know i I consider pete a friend now because we've we've hung out many many times on zoom uh over the pandemic and like even even back then years ago when we didn't know each other from Adam, he was just really kind with his time. When I was like, "What are you? What, what's going on here? <laughs> what are you <laughs> doing, was, man? Yeah, it was teach it was me how. Ex- <laughs> yeah, it, it was my first exposure to closed fingering too, um, mm. um, where you kind of get that um, that pippity poppity sound. Yes. Um, oh, we're gonna we're gonna talk about a track where you you do some of that later. That's one okay. of my favorite tracks on the album for sure. Oh, cool. Um, but yeah, he was really kind with his time, and so I, I loved Mr. Preston's hornpipe, and then. Um, then ironically, you know, when I when I got his book, because it's it's a weird collection of tunes that it's in. It's a set of uh, Lancashire hornpipes, and like Lancashire is not technically the borders, right? It's it's mm. um, it's like a county. It's a county south of the border, I guess. So it's it's not on the border uh, of Scotland and England. But the tunes in there are very much like 
would feel comfortable in that kind of Northumbrian Dixon mm -hmm. repertoire, um, but they are distinct. And like Mr. Preston's Hornpipe, I don't think shows up any place except for that, um, mm. except for that collection, or at least maybe maybe not until later. Um, but it's a super long take, and uh, Pete's writing about it uh, in his collection. He's uh, he kind of complains about how um, how monotonous the variations are, like how it's not mm. particularly complex stuff. Um, sure, which I didn't. I, I kind of didn't believe. I was like, no, this is some of the most interesting stuff ever until until I was trying to figure out how to play it on Ellen Pipes. And playing um, playing that on Ellen Pipes is a pain. And I'm, I still wasn't really happy uh, with it. Um, I wasn't happy with it when I recorded it for the podcast um, because when I'm recording stuff for the podcast, it's like I'll, I'll sit down for an hour trying to play the same tune, you know, mm -hmm. and get something that I'm pleased with. And... I wind up uh, probably throwing out plenty of, of decent decent takes, and by the end I settle with something. Uh, but then listening back to listening back to that track, you know, months later, I was like, oh no, that's good enough. That's pretty darn good. Um, right after an hour of struggling with it, maybe you're kind of sick of it at that point, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, but yeah, it's definitely not it's not a melody that lends itself to Ellen Pipes uh, mm. at all. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I, I I like the tune so much. I wanted to include it someplace. I also it was important to me, um, you know, this album was to help offset the cost of getting a set of um, pipes from John Swain. And specifically, I wanted John Swain pipes because, you know, he his pipes are really good at... They're, they're good, they're great pipes, but they're also kind of affordable, and um, they very much are part of, um, like, English and border piping traditions in terms mm -hmm. of what the chanter sounds like, the range that it can do. And the, the album sales specifically were to help offset the cost of getting an additional chanter from him so that I mm. could play the English style um, kind of border tunes. Like all of the people, so English bagpipes are generally pitched in G and it can cause some frustration when you're looking at um, border pipe music. Um, like if it's, if, if you're getting a collection of tunes um, of like, you know, music for border pipes and it's from an English piper, they'll all be set in G. Mm. And if you're getting it from like Matt Seattle's book or something farther north, it's all kind of set in A, and it can really throw you for a loop when you first. Just, you just have to squint, just squint, and imagine that the notes are one step higher or lower, right? And it's like I don't know. Uh, I saw or I heard that you got um, the William Dixon book, but I don't know. If I you did, yeah. The, I don't know if you read the the intro there, but um, <laughs> I'm like halfway through the intro. It's okay. honestly it's longer than I expected it to be, <laughs> and right. so I read a few pages and then went to some tunes, and then went back and read a little bit, and then went to some tunes, you know. Yeah, I feel I feel so called out. Uh, so don't don't feel like I'm calling you out for not having read it. Uh, the the detail is just that it's interesting that Dixon's original manuscript didn't have a five stave line or a mm. five line stave. It was a four line stave. So it's sort of up for debate where Dixon. Um, oh, how interesting! Like, yeah, like how it should how it should look. But right. I remember when uh, when I was doing that chat with Keith Sanger recently, um, which is I guess the first episode of season six or something. Um, but he was talking about the Kilbury book of Kilmore and, Oh, that was the myths and legends episode, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, great episode. I love that one. He was talking about all the, like, you know, the introduction to the Kilbury book, like talks about how this is wrong, but it's a, yeah. it's a place to be. Um, and he asked like, if you read this and I was like, I have, or he, he mentioned that nobody reads it and I was like, I haven't read it. And he was like, well, I hope you leave that in. <laughs> <laughs> you better not go around. Like I, as soon as I get a book of music, it's like, 
I just want to look at the tunes. I have a really hard time. Naturally, yeah. Going to to actually read the thing. Yeah. Um, like Pete, again, going back to Pete Stewart, like he's got some amazing history books uh, on piping mm-hmm. and um, kind of piping in the Scottish borders um, and and England and like. But it's it's just the tunes. Like I'll I'll read a I'll read a paragraph or two and then I'll just ah, let's just go look at the tunes though. <laughs> yeah. Just really yeah. Good. Uh, anyway, so since this was to fundraise border pipes i wanted right to border include, pipes specifically yeah i wanted to include tracks from sort of like my heroes in that repertoire um, mm. and people that had exposed me to it so uh so i wanted to have uh a track that to me is a pete stewart track even though pete didn't write mr preston's hornpipe by any stretch yeah. of imagination but he published um one of the easier ways to get it and that was my gateway to it um which is also why there's um an ian gelston tune on there which is shields bar and then the Matt Seattle track, um, Apple Trees is uh, Michael Better and Old Gala House. That was all sort of include these things in here so I can have a nod to nod to them. Right. No, that makes sense. Now, now I, I want to ask you more about Border Pipe specifically, but maybe we cut to a tune where that features them a little bit before yeah. talking about them. Um, yeah. Maybe track 15, which is that minuet. Yeah. We're also talking about dancing anyway, so yeah. another dance tune. very podcast centered and mm. as the the more podcasts that i've done the more i'm trying to be more methodical about it i suppose and um and that means if i play a tune it's got i i wind up wanting to explore some of the various settings of it mm-hmm. um which is like i think it's a more useful podcast it's certainly a more interesting podcast i think to my listeners that they seem to like it when i'm playing through like half a dozen or more kind of variations of the same tune. Um, yes, I remember you doing that with the gold ring, and I really enjoyed that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's fun. Uh, it's fun, but it's it's way. I, I, I gotta. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun for us, but not for you. <laughs> it, and like, it is fun for me. I, I enjoy playing the different settings, but some of them wind up being quite difficult, and mm-hmm. it means that uh, I have like a very large list of like, well. I don't know if I'm ever going to feel like I can quite pull that setting off. Yeah. And what's the point of doing the episode if I can't have that in there? Um, but anyway, in William Dixon's book, there's a number of tunes. There's there's not a number, but there are some tunes that don't have concordances that are sort of standalone tunes. And I think mm. that Minuet is one of those, uh, which mm. was... And it's a nice kind of short tune. A lot of Dixon's tunes are 
very long and um, yeah, quite quite long in the variations, which uh, also you know provides its own challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this tune, uh, I think if I remember the liner notes that Matt has in there, uh, it's sort of bizarre. There's not a lot of minuets in Dixon. Like this is sort of the only one I think, and mm-hmm. he couldn't find any concordances to it. And it's sort of a bizarre bizarre title um that doesn't it's kind of hard to know where where this tune's coming from um, yeah but i love it it's a really i love that that beat to it it's quite a bit different i think than, yes than some of the other stuff in dixon and yeah that's good i i haven't done it yet um i want it's weird that i have started paying really close attention to country dance music um in the pandemic and like i haven't like I've I've played briefly for some kind of country dance settings, but the just like the fur trade versions of it. So like mm-hmm. um, rather than doing the formal country dancing where I would like watch the band play and people dance, but I wasn't playing music for it. Um, so the only like dance I played for was a, a paddle dance, which a paddle uh, dance. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if this is uh, a thing anywhere other than. Um, that's what lakes. they do on your birthday, right? <laughs> right. No, the, the paddle dance is, uh, so it's it's supposedly, I'm not sure who cooked it up or when. Um, I've seen it in reenacting circles and at, uh, and like, Franklin Manitoban communities doing it. So, so like, Métis folks and, and things like that, too. But it's, like, you, you have a person, there's one person that has the paddle, right? So there'll be, like, a woman with a paddle, and then two men will dance for her affection, and then she will hand the paddle to the one she doesn't want to dance with. And then <laughs> they, those two just kind of do their own run dance through the line of men and women yeah. that are waiting. And then the guy that's been rejected, he has the paddle and then two women come and dance for his <laughs> attention. So it's kind of a nice, like, you've been rejected, but now you get to select uh, right, the, the, yeah. the power choice. And those dances are always just like, you can play whatever you want and just do it forever. <laughs> um, and and am, I, am I imagining... Should I be imagining like fur trade just got off the river with a bunch of beaver pelts, so it's a boat paddle, or should I be imagining more yeah, like it's a something? Paddle. It is yeah. a canoe paddle. Okay, yeah, so it's yeah, not it's like some paddle. dainty ping pong paddle. We're oh, talking no. a full on canoe paddle. Okay. Yeah, it's generally like the, the ones that uh, that I remember. It seems like you're we're trying to use an avant paddle too, which is the kind of long paddle on the front of the canoe because um, mm. those big freighter canoes, you know, you've got kind of specialized specialized people where the guy in the front of the canoe has a rather long paddle so they can stand and um, mm-hmm. kind of push off rocks and things like that so generally you're dancing for a paddle that's maybe like seven six or seven feet tall or something yeah it's a, it's a cool aesthetic but um but yeah i i definitely became if i'm really thinking about it i'm better at playing strass bays if i'm watching people dance that makes sense and yeah i kind of want to yeah, it's a, a thing that I look forward to doing if, like, the world ever opens back up or I feel comfortable going out and about again of, mm. like, finding and paying closer attention to some country dance things that um, that are going on. Like, I have quite a few friends that do it uh, through yeah. kind of the reenacting stuff, but I've just never, I never paid much attention to it. But Yeah, yeah, there's a group here that my wife and I like to go do some of, they, they do mostly, they're mostly, fo- they're called Old Glory Vintage Dancers. And they, the events we usually go to are a Regency era event yeah. and then also a Dickens Christmas ball. And so they're maybe not quite the exact same kind of dances, but I, get, I can get the feel for sure. And they're, right. man, they, they are so fun to do too, you know, especially when you get everybody in costume and you can mm-hmm. just about lose yourself in it and think you're in a different place and a different time. It is a lot of fun. 
I the the best experience I've ever had uh, with with that was there's a there's an event in, in northern Minnesota and they were doing kind of called country dancing, um, which in my head you know going through grade school in the Midwest I just assumed like okay they're just doing square dancing for some reason I didn't mm-hmm. even fathom to me that there was that square dancing came from another tradition or whatever. It's just, if you got somebody calling a dance in my head, that's a square dance. And I, um, right. I'm disinterested. Grab your partner around and around. <laughs> right. yeah. um, and so, I, but I was still watching and uh, it was just, it was great that the woman calling the dance was, you know, giving everybody easy instructions to follow. And then it was, it was dark out, you know, like it was, mm-hmm. it was at a reenactment at night. So there were some lanterns around, um, but you couldn't really see what was going on. And so, this couple started dancing quite differently than everybody else was. Mm. And she, the person calling the dance started to call them out to like, tell them to get into formation. And then she realized that it was the, the kind of the couple reenacting or portraying the, the bourgeois or whatever, like the owner of the, oh, the I trading see. post. Right. Yeah. And so it was just really interesting. It was a cool historical moment. Um, for her to go, okay, you want to get in line? Oh, never mind. That's Mr. Kavanaugh. You do he what can you do what want. he wants. Everybody clear space <laughs> for Mr. Kavanaugh. And then like, uh, just as my buddy like went dancing, dancing by as Mr. Kavanaugh, um, he just had the perfect silhouette of like Regency, you know, hat mm-hmm, and a Paris mm-hmm. bow hat on and a, a rat tail cue kind of coming out the back. And yeah, it was, it was just great. It was definitely a, like, oh yeah, this feels, this feels right. <laughs> this feels yeah. like the way that class worked back then. But yeah. No, that, that, that is awesome. And I, and I was going to ask you about border pipe specifically. I'm still going to, but right now yeah. I feel like I'd rather ask you to give me just a little, we talked about it a little bit before when we talked, but um, like we're talking about reenacting and looking through archives of music and different centuries of the past. What are you, what is all this? What are you into? What is your podcast focused on? You know, what's the reenacting stuff? Um, what is this album? You know, like what, where's this album coming from? What's its time and place? Yeah. Um, so I, I have found myself uh, kind of obsessed with the 18th century, I guess. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a really interesting time and place for looking at archive stuff. There's like, you, you see such a um, golden age, kind of the first big mass publication of, of music and mm-hmm. books and, and things of that sort. So that it means that there's a real robust archive of things to look at. Um, so it's possible in a way that it's quite a bit more work to do like 17th or 16th century music history. It's certainly mm-hmm. doable and like there's printed material for them too, but, the but 18th maybe century not as big feels... a body. What's that? Maybe, maybe not as big a, as large a body of, oh, of right. work to, right. to go through. Which in a way is nice too, right? You can, yeah. <laughs> you could just, if you just got a bunch of Playford stuff, you can kind of play all the printed music for the 17th century and feel like you did it. Um, there, I did all hundred years. It's done. Yeah. <laughs> um, what, what are some, what are some 18th century landmarks for people listening? If it's, if it's hard to place, you know, just by, based on numbers, what's going on in the world uh, yeah, or at least in the so Western world at the time? Everything. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> this is what so it yeah, all took for, off. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's an era of conflict. Um, but it's also, well, okay, so I, I guess benchmarks, right? The middle of the century um, for for people interested in Scottish music um, and and history and stuff, like 1745, right, is the Jacobite Rebellion. Um, it's kind of the, the last Jacobite Rebellion. There's an earlier one in 1715, and these attempts to kind of put Stuart, uh, a Stuart King back on the throne of England and Scotland. Um, and that winds up playing a huge part in our mythological understanding of, of piping. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's this whole 
myth of bagpipes being outlawed after Culloden, uh, which, you know, again, please, it, that didn't happen. Uh, and it's, uh, but it's a good myth, but it, it absolutely didn't happen. And uh, call, call out to that. I'm, I'll yeah, put a link go, to that Go listen episode. to that long episode. Yeah. There's a, I think pretty early on, uh, Keith does a really good job of pointing out all the ways where it is obvious that that didn't happen. Yeah. Um, and um, so anyway, so that, but that's, so that's an important benchmark. Um, even though bagpipes weren't banned, um, the Jacobite, the kind of failures of the Jacobite rebellion did have a big effect on music. Um, the clan system was sort of canceled or, or um, out, not outlawed, but it, it ended. Like the, the way the clan system had worked before had ended. Um, something that I think Americans don't understand is that like the Stuarts actually were some of the first people to put limits on like powers of, of chiefs and, um, and clans to kind mm. of make sure that they had all the power, right? Cause, um, a, a clan chief is essentially a king in his own country. So that's a threat to you as a king, right? So you want right. to stop that kind of power and authority. Um, so the Stuarts have been trying to limit the power of the clans for, you know, a generation before, um, the Jacobite rebellions. But anyway, but with the end of like the clan system working as it had, you all of a sudden didn't have wealthy courts that could sustain pipers um, and kind of music wound up shifting um, as a result of that, where, you know, you, you had, you still had people performing for, for wealthy folks, but it wouldn't be, wouldn't be the same thing. And there's also going to be some pretty big disruptions to um, like over, over the next, you know, century um, from the 1740s. On, there's going to be some pretty big disruptions and depopulation of small villages and communities as um, chiefs and landlords decide that it's more profitable to, you know, raise sheep uh, rather than have tenants that are farming and right, that sort yeah. of thing. So um, people are being evicted from their homes and um, if they can, you know, moving someplace else. Um, but um, so that's going to that's going to be some pretty big disruption, which uh, but again, that that music, it's really to call out another episode. But towards the end of season five um, of the podcast, Barry Shears had a long right. talk. So much of Barry's work is looking at like we, we know where all these like hereditary piping families went. Like it's this seems like, oh, man, the Canada pipers died. <laughs> like, no, they just moved to Nova Scotia and yeah. kept going uh, in a lot of ways. So. That was such a good episode. I'll put a link to that one as well. I listened to that one twice, like in succession. Like I finished it yeah. and was like, "Wow, that was great!" One and I just time. went yeah. right back. And did it again. Yeah, yeah. Barry's Barry's so great. Um, but yeah, so it's and and his his collections of tunes are are phenomenal too for yeah. the same thing of like finding historic tunes and he does a good job of listing concordances and things too. Play play um, it like you sing it is the is next on my list of of collections to get. Even yeah. just 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 the title, but hearing him talk about that, just like the value of like. This is music, you know. It's like yeah. mm, I like his his sort of uh, philosophy. Yeah, get it, get it now. Uh, it's he's he's out, right? Like there's uh, there's copies floating around, um, but the so it's in two volumes, right? The first volume is all history and photos, and the second volume is some history, but mostly the tunes. Mm -hmm. And uh, so the second volume, he is out of copies, and um, <gasps> you can still see a couple places where they've got like stockpiles but before this episode goes you should buy it <laughs> yeah <laughs> good do. to know noted <laughs> um yeah i had to i ordered a copy from like someplace in arizona I'll, I'll see if i can i'll send you the link if you can't find it easily but um yeah it's great i'm hoping he'll do a reprint but uh i kind of don't think he will um mm. but, but yeah that's good stuff uh anyway so um yeah what 
Yeah, and I, I don't, you, you don't have to give an exhaustive history of the entire century, of course, just to give some people, you know, to give people kind of an idea of like, what are people wearing at the time? What's happening in the oh, world? Sure. You know, what's kind of the... Yeah. The, and the, then, yeah, so for you know. me, like, you know, if, if we've got the Jacobite Rebellion uh, in 1745, which is sort of a big moment, then you've got immigration, then you've got um, uh, the French and Indian War, the Seven Years' War. So this big conflict between England and mm-hmm. France and indigenous people. And... Um, for me, that becomes interesting uh, afterwards because I don't speak or read French uh, at all, really. So uh, once uh, once most of North America uh, becomes, you know, ruled by English writing um, political entities, like when they're making all that stuff, it just becomes more accessible to me. So right. um, the time period I'm interested in is kind of specifically 1763 to 1820 because that is when... English-speaking fur traders are tramping around the places where I live and study, r- making records in a language I can read. Um, and of course, right in the middle of that, we've got 1776 for 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 yeah. those listeners in the USA. That's there, there you go. Yeah, American Revolution, um, and that's it's it's really interesting too. Like from a we've got we've got such a romantic uh, idea of what the like what the Scottish experience and, and history has been. So. Uh, at least I did as a kid, you know, the, the idea that, um, you'd be a Jacobite and then you'd be a Jacobite and then you'd be forced to move to the Carolinas or something. And, and there you'd fight for American independence from the British King or something, but like, that's the opposite. With with your kilt on the entire time, of course. Right. Kilt on. Yeah. Charging into a battle in the swamps of Georgia, wearing, uh, wearing your kilt and carrying a claymore, not a gun, a claymore. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Definitely need a claymore. But the, the funny reality is that like, they were loyalists so there's this this shift happens in quick succession of uh being jacobites and then becoming loyalists um people fight interesting on the english side in the seven years war and then staying on the english side during the american revolution um, is that is that quick shift the kind of quick shift that would have happened across a generation from one one from parents to children or like you'd have the same people Fighting Sometimes for... it's the same people. Yeah, um, wow, for the is, for the French yeah. and Indian War, there are people that are Jacobites and mm-hmm. are then officers in the British Army. Um, mm-hmm. It's sort of the one of the reasons that um, kind of Highland soldiers gained this myth, mythic sort of um, view. You know, this this being being seen as really important and potent uh, soldiers was um, like during the Seven Years' War. You've got you know like the Frasers had been. Um, I don't, I can't remember what the term is, but basically they had lost their titles and their land as a, as a result of being Jacobites. Um, mm-hmm. And then, so during the Seven Years' War, they formed a regiment, um, the 78th Fraser Highlanders, I think, is what they're called. But they uh, come over and fight a bunch of, of battles in North America. And, you know, General Wolfe is in charge of the British forces in, um, for, I think, for the entirety of the American campaigns. Um, and Wolf was at Culloden on the, the English side, on the government mm. side, and uh, supposedly kind of hated the Highland regiments. Um, and so he would always send them in first, like, okay, cannon fodder, we're going to get rid of these Highlanders one way or the right. other. Um, and then the Highlanders kept winning those ah. encounters that they <laughs> yeah. were supposed to be slaughtered in. And <laughs> yeah. so they started to have this sort of uh, mythic quality. And mm. even while... You know, even even when it was still technically illegal to like carry swords and wear tartan, it became fashionable to have a Highlander show up to your parties in England, uh, in London. Right. You know, like, yeah. Um, so very different kind of exoticizing of the people that may have been the boogeymen. Um, J- just a few years a earlier. Earlier. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, but a lot of those, um, like Frasier, I'm really interested in the Frasers just because they wind up like the, the Fraser Highland Regiment. A lot of those guys got land grants in, in upstate New York. And that's where like them and their kids wound up kind of living. And then their kids wind up being fur traders. Um, mm. But loyalists that, that wind up moving state. to Montreal, like during the, mm. the revolution, yeah, during the revolution period and um, kind of switch gears to running the fur trade out of Montreal rather than Albany or um, Schenectady. But. And, and, and you have spent a significant amount of time embodying a fur trade person. I guess. Yeah. So aside aside um, from reading about it, you're like, you're living it as much as one can. Yeah, I I was really I was really into reenacting um, first the Jacobite Rebellion and then the French and Indian War as a kid, and um, kind of as I as I got older, I, I had a moment when I was eighteen where I was like, "This is childish stuff. I'm gonna leave this behind." <laughs> like <laughs> it was it had weirded me out. Uh, I had started doing Jacobite reenacting as a kid, living in Wisconsin, and uh, I. I pretty quickly realized that you know there wasn't actually a lot of jacobite history in wisconsin um <laughs> so i should <laughs> maybe look uh, to more local stuff uh sure and there also isn't honestly a ton of uh kind of french and indian war history in wisconsin either but um but that was closer than scotland so yeah um so i started doing that and kind of fell in with a group of people portraying ojibwe warriors didn't think terribly critically of that at first. Um, is that called and, is that called red face when 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 white people it pretend it to depends be depends on who you're talking to. Um, I've had but, some prob- some like very uncomfortable experiences here with like in my experiences with the Boy Scouts where there would be like yep. this Order of the Arrow like not only dressing up like Native Americans but like changing the way you talk to mm-hmm. sound like a stereotypical Native American Dude. accent yeah. and just be like looking around being like are we all are we all doing this? Are we all, are we all hearing the same thing? Are we okay with this? (laughs) Yeah. You're not, you shouldn't be. I I wanted to, when I did the, I I don't know. I, 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 I had already become disillusioned with portraying a native person in re I think I did it for like two years. Yeah. Maybe less. And we're talking like I was 11 and 12 and, uh, and then I got weirded out. So like the, the loophole always is you say, well, I'm a captive. Actually, I was, I'm, I'm white. There you was, go. You know, kidnapped yeah. and raised, <laughs> there you uh, go. which is sort of whatever. Uh, it's not, it's not really any better. Um, and I, I just kept on distancing, my, distancing myself more from it. And, um, but I think I definitely, I had kind of quit, quit doing the native as a, like pretending to be native thing. Um, I started taking Ojibwe language classes mm-hmm. uh, and like actually, re- I think that's what it took. Like being a, a preteen, hanging out with indigenous people, being like, "Oh, that's icky. That thing that, right, that yeah. we're doing is maybe a little bit icky." <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the more time I spent, that I just started looking. I realized one of the challenges with reenacting is reenactors teach history more. Like they reach more people than probably any other way of like mm-hmm. moderately professional history like certainly as an academic historian you yeah. can count on maybe 20 people to read your book you know it's not right. really a, and they're probably going to be your fellow academics as well right so. right yeah. whereas a reenactor that's really active and goes to a lot of reenactments are gonna you know teach a thousand people about something a weekend um, right at every event and that becomes particularly fraught at, at yeah, like reenactments are fun they're a fun like fun thing to participate in um if you are from a certain like privileged position um right yeah but it's weird because you're presenting history 
it's very much a uh, kind of white middle class endeavor. Mm-hmm. So if people are only portraying white like whiteness, then it erases indigenous people, black people, it it erases all those folks from the history. So like, that's not good. But then also when you have people that are not those things talking about it or portraying it, especially it gets a little weird. One of the groups I was, the the group I was active in were pretty honest about their ethnicity. Um, And then at some point after I left, they all had done, um, they all had, had done some DNA tests uh, where conveniently oh, they great. all managed to prove <laughs> that they were native. Yeah. And like, not only that, like, but now all of a sudden they had res accents. So, um, yeah. it was, it was weird. And I realized that for, for a lot of people going to those events, this was the only, that's their first exposure to what they think is a native person. Is Maybe only exposure ever. Right. But, but yeah. seeing them covered in war paint, doing war hoops and scalping people on like a right. battlefield, like yeah. this is not great. Um, and so, yeah, so I had, I had decided to like get out of the reenacting circuit. (laughs) Like I was, I was done with it. Uh, and then I got a job doing it. So, uh, but (laughs) But not (laughs) a job as reenacting as a native person. (laughs) No, no. So I started working, uh, as a, as a fur trader and, uh, and it was, it was on an Ojibwe reservation. Um, so like I did a lot of native things there. Like I built wigwams and canoes and, um, mm-hmm. talked to people about indigenous history, but it was not, yeah, it was not never presenting myself as indigenous. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's one of the things that's say other, you know, so that's where my interest in 18th century music kind of came from was from portraying a fur trader in the 1790s and trying to yeah. come up with his repertoire of, of tunes right it's just weird man like um part of the reason i was um quite so celebratory last night is um i kind of accepted a a tentative job offer and uh i'm just realizing so the the guy that i portray um or the guy that i portrayed the piper that worked for the northwest company at grand portage was named george mckay and he you know his whole gig was he was supposed to play pipes at grand portage um on Lake Superior for the summer rendezvous, kind of the summer get together of all these fur traders and the resupply um, session. And then oh, when they see, found I'd, out that he I'd could, kind of, I've been kind of imagining him playing like as they like cleaned the pelts after they came in after mm-hmm. a, a day's work kind of thing. Not so much as like a gathering. That makes that makes sense though. Well, he he wound up doing that too. Like, oh, okay. Um, the the funny thing about George is that uh, so we only have any account of his life from Hudson's Bay Company records, and. Uh, a couple Northwesters. So there's there's these two main fur trading companies, the Northwest Company and the Hudson's Bay Company, um, on, along the Canadian border. Um, then there's some American ones too, but they are really insignificant at this uh, in this in that 1790s period. Uh, they kind of come and go and don't make nearly the the money that the British companies are making. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so the the Hudson's Bay Company is way better about record keeping. The Northwest Company like actively destroyed their records a number mm-hmm. of times to keep them out of Hudson's Bay Company hands. So we don't have a ton of information um, from Northwesters, um, but there's a couple Hudson's Bay Company posts that were established seemingly purely to spy on Northwest Company. Oh, really? And kind of. <laughs> Some of it is like hill. having a Burger King and a McDonald's side by side for right, competition, yeah. and some of it is I'm here to spy and figure out what's going yeah. on. Um, but we get an account of George Mackay's life from another Mackay working for the Hudson's Bay Company rather than the Northwest Company like George did. Uh, but he mentioned that um, 
I think in the journal entry, it's something like the two Mr. McKay's stayed last night and gave us a wonderful concert on the bagpipes. Mm. Um, and then the next day he mentions that George McKay is considered the first piper in Scotland. Um, and he was first hired by spelled Simon F-U-R-S-T, perhaps? Uh, no, F-I-R-S-T, no, I think. Missed uh, opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> oh, furs. Were puns yeah. not a thing yeah. yet? <laughs> oh, they totally were. The uh, The Hudson's Bay Company motto was re-risk our skins for furs oh, or something Oh, very like nice, that. very nice. Um, Marketing so at work were... even in the 18th century. I like it. Yeah, they knew what they were doing. Uh, it was yeah. something like that anyway. It was in Latin, so I'm sure I, I can I can get some... Um, yeah. I can, I can pretend like I, it's just my translation or something. Uh, anyway, but they... He mentions, it's funny because like George Mackay is describing himself this way, right? Like, oh, I'm the first piper in Scotland. Um, but he was offered 50 pounds a year to play pipes for the rendezvous and then like to be transported back to Scotland. But when he got to Grand Portage and people found out that he could read, write and do math, they made him uh, offer a post to very so useful. he signed a contract for seven mm. years. But the the it's, it's weird and it's kind of wild to me. Like he lived where he played pipes um, or where he, where he spent the winter is like, it's, um, it's like 10 miles from where I'm moving. Like really like right on the same river. <laughs> like yeah. the, the, the nearest town today is the place that I'm, I'm moving to. Um, which is, it's kind of cool to be like, Oh, I'm following in George Mackay's footsteps again. This is, this is, this is neat. Um, there, there's a part of me that wants to start delving into theories of reincarnation. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's it's definitely. I don't know. It's it's cool. It's really cool. I mean, it's also the place where my, the the Red River is a magical place, man. Like, it's also where my dissertation is about. Like, so the two spirit person that I center all of my research on, lived in the Red River. Kind of the best mm. uh, details of her life come from the Red River. Um, also, the the like one, one of the most famous people that, I think was probably a trans man, but is. Um, kind of thought of as just a woman dressing as a man and living as a man and being discovered. Um, but there's a, a woman from the Orkneys, I suppose you might say. Um, she lived the rest of her life as, as a woman when she got discovered. But um, but she worked for the Hudson's Bay Company for like two years doing all of that like heavy labor of, you know, rowing boats and stuff like that. And mm. uh, eventually uh, wound up giving birth uh, right in the Red River too. So it's like everything... In the river? Uh, <laughs> along the river yeah. okay <laughs> yeah no not in the river um uh, but yeah in the in the fur post that's gonna be again about an hour from where where we're moving just yeah, and that 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 famous song the red river valley that is referring to that the valley around that red river right this is i have what, no idea north, north dakota into minnesota yeah, that's the one yeah okay there's, there's a red river in texas i think too and uh oklahoma that kind of mm. uh, mm -hmm. confuses me maybe kansas i can't remember but there's, there's definitely yeah, more than one red river in the world right maybe maybe that song is about one of the others i'm not sure my, my dad grew up in south dakota and so i feel like sem semi-familiar with some of the geography up there we used to go up, up into south dakota every summer um but not certainly not like i don't live there so i don't feel like super duper sure of you know it's all kind of vague in my mind. So, yeah. oh, well, well, now let me let me just d d give a give a hard a hard tug here to pull us over to talk about um, border pipes. Um, mm -hmm. So we've got some featured on the album. Uh, we heard one a, a set playing that minuet there just now, yeah. and you mentioned that like these the set that you that you're getting. Um, there's something special about the chanters, not only the two chanters, but I feel like I've heard you talk before about how like 
it seems that in the past border pipes were set up more to push a range push the range a little more and maybe today a lot of modern border pipes are more like just mini highland bagpipes um is that is am i understanding that right yeah i think like that's how they like the the popularity of highland pipes is hard to understate you know like there's um there's more highland pipers now than there ever have been obviously um that's not a a big statement um there's more people on the planet but like Mm -hmm. i it's interesting to me that almost certainly in the 18th century there were more lowland pipers or you know people playing the instrument that we might call border pipes than there were highland pipers Mm -hmm. Um, like like today you say the word bagpipes people think highland pipes immediately right Right. But that wouldn't have been the case previously. No, no. and uh, yeah, and um, yeah. So there. Uh, so I, I think that Highland piping repertoire and style kind of won out. You know that that mm-hmm. wins the like the the choice. And for you know for pipe makers that are trying to make a living making their instruments, you kind of wind up catering. You wind up adjusting to what people want. And so if you're making a set of pipes that can pinch up easily to the second octave um so you get like uh you know an octave and a half mm-hmm. then like that's not a benefit that's not a good thing for somebody that is a highland piper um that goes in and starts playing because you've got to be a little bit more delicate we're kind of used to setting up our highland pipes so that um they sound optimal at like the most like the the high pressure Right, volume, right, right. Where yeah. and a consistent pressure all the way through, and that pressure is going to be pretty hard. And if you go into border piping that way, you're going to wind up kind of squealing into the second octave pretty regularly on your your yeah. B's and your C's, uh, if that's how you set up the instrument. So over time, my understanding of it is just the the way that uh, pipe makers were making the chanters and making the reeds kind of shifted more to to cater to people going in with that highland piping style and at this point we're like one or two generations in of people that are learning from people that made that switch i think i think that's sort of how it how it works Um, that seems to make sense i'm hoping to do some interviews with pipe makers um Mm. shortly here and kind of see if my understanding of that chronology is is right yeah well one can imagine you know, Highland Piper's going, I want something a little bit quieter. You know, I want something I can play in the kitchen. Oh, you make border pipes, make me some. Hey, these squeak too much. And then the border piper going, or the border pipe maker going, uh, these Highland Pipers. All right, fine. Yeah, I'll make you a tiny Highland Pipe. And then, uh, you know, a generation (laughs) later, it's like, that's just what it is. Right. Well, and it's also like, it comes down to just read too. Um, I think, I think it's mostly about read making, um, Mm. but uh, it might not be like the, so the, the, the pipes that I'm using on this album are Nate Banton border pipes with a reed made by Will Woodson. And they, like, Nate doesn't make his stuff to go up. Like, that's that's not how he makes his chanters anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I, I'm not sure if we talked about this already, but I, I asked, um, I think when I started playing, I realized I could get a, a high B. Um, and I... I sent a message to Will Woodson saying, hey, I've been getting a high B pretty reliably here. Is there like a different fingering I should be using to get high C or, or how do I, is there a way to do that? And Will just said, it's not even supposed to be able to play high B. <laughs> right, really. that's so, right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the amount of pressure you'd have to put yeah. uh, in order to get a high C would be uh, hard to hard to muster. Yeah. Um, but I do, I did do it. Uh, <laughs> you could, I, I did manage to squeeze a high C out of there, but it's sort of like, uh, I, I, I got high C's out of it as like a crossing note or as a grace note, but not yeah. really a sustained melody note. Um, I, 
I, I'm going to put a link in the show notes to another of your episodes where you just talk about the experience of playing high bees on Highland pipes. Um, yeah. Just because I think it's really exciting. And I know that it's, I'm, it's new to me. I know it's not new to everyone, but I want all my friends to know about it, you know? So yeah. <laughs> it's exciting to have more notes to work with, yeah. you know? So. Well, it's been fun. It's, I, I love every time you, you post a video of like, ah, here's another high B. <laughs> it's, I'm it's getting cool. there, man. I'm going to master it someday. I've got, I've got big plans. <laughs> but it's, <laughs> it's weird how much, like, I, I, I don't know. I feel like this, this might be the moment where it sticks, but, um, you know, this isn't new. <laughs> like right. they've been, people used to play high Bs pretty regularly and then, you know, that, that went away as being like a regular thing. But again, Barry Shears points out, like, I think most of the, the chanters that exist that have the, the crease in the, the back. The right, back a little a, notch back there. I think, I think a lot of those come from Nova Scotia, uh, Nova Scotia, where, where people were using that method to kind of pinch up to high B. Um, but I don't know, it's funny, like when it, when it first clicked for me, I felt like I was inventing a new thing uh, yes, or something yeah, like yeah. that, even though like it was pointed out to me that it was possible uh, and how to do it. It still felt like, oh my God, this is this amazing thing. Um, right. And wanted everybody to know about it and try it out. And then, you know, every every so often, like Mike uh, McNich, who is a, I'm not sure, he's a, he's a really good piper and used to work as a pipe maker. I'm not sure if he still makes pipes or not, but, um, but he, you know, for years, apparently, like touring around, he would like part of his sets would be talking about high bees trying to get people to play high bees like on yeah. gigs in scotland and it just doesn't you know it just doesn't go anywhere people didn't aren't interested in that yeah um but you know the the way the internet works now maybe yep that's well that's and, the thing i have seen I, I again maybe it's just that i haven't been looking in the right places but i feel like just over the course of the last year that recently i've seen it popping up on instagram yeah seemingly organically like i'm not going looking right. for it i see somebody right. going hey look i just figured out how to play high b and i'm like i don't know i have no idea who this person is and so right. awesome yeah, messaged, you know? <laughs> uh, the, i'm not sure if we're talking about the same person but um you messaged me her video on instagram and then I yeah uh, jenna bagpipes yeah yeah and it was it was wild though like we just messaged it's like what got you excited about or how'd you start doing this or something right um and it was i think she came to it from barry like some stuff that Barry. Shears oh, she's Canadian. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, she's in Montreal, and yeah. so like she knew it was. Possible uh, of course, because, because of, of course, only people in Canada can know about Barry Shears. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> right. Yeah, there, there's um, me making a connection that doesn't need to be made. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, it was really cool to see like, that she was that she was doing it. But, yeah. but I don't know. I was hoping that was honestly. I was I was hoping to get a sponsorship or something from McCallum um, to like make a chanter that specifically yeah. worked for it like yeah more man. than a chanter a read and chanter combo because it's yeah you know every time it's sort of a nightmare to like source a read that works well in this um in this hardy chanter that can mm -hmm. sound good and also pinch up and also be kind of around b flat for everything i want it to do <laughs> right you're kind of you're kind of frankenstein frankenstein's monster in your 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 setup there aren't you yeah yeah maybe mm. <laughs> maybe a little bit but so i don't know we'll see i'm everybody uh Everybody I asked either didn't respond or McCallum at least was kind enough to be like, no, but McCallum is the <laughs> only one where I actually had their email from other correspondence I'd had with them. Everybody uh, else sure. used to use their like, you know, entry their contact us thing. Yeah. yeah. I was hoping I could get Hardy interested since I'm using a Hardy channel now to do it, but they, they yeah. didn't respond and the elevation channel guy too, I thought maybe, but yeah. yeah, again, he might just be busy with his move too. That's right. He's doing that move. Well, I, I was going to save John Charles uh, Fireproof Pipes for the very last track, 
but I feel yeah. like it feels really natural to play it right now since you got some some uh, out of range notes in there, and so it's a really great it's a really great example of like what's possible with this, you know? Yeah, yeah, and it's also fitting for the discussion. So the so the fireproof pipes are are the border pipes that I was borrowing. Mm-hmm. Um, so Sean Charles, uh, poor guy, like had a house fire and. Like he and his, you know, his family were fine, but you know, it was a house fire, uh, pretty bad one. But somehow these pipes uh, survived. Like, <laughs> Is it funny that like, fire. hopefully we're all nice, nice and you know, like thinking the right things that all of us would say. Oh no, is his family okay? But then the next question would be like, what about his bagpipes? <laughs> right, right. What about those pipes though? Um, yeah. But yeah, his pipes, his pipes survived. There was like some smoke damage, maybe, but I couldn't see any of that like they smell good they play good i was but gonna anyway, ask that... they smell smoky <laughs> when you blow, <laughs> no, when you blow them does a little good. smoke come out the drone ends <laughs> right right but uh but yeah he you know he was a podcast listener and i was i was starting to play a lot of william dixon tunes on highland pipes and i was like dabbling with the idea of getting a set of border pipes but i you know was a grad student and pretty broke and kind of thinking yeah. about getting uh i, I didn't want to get a set of pipes like all of the mildly affordable set of pipes weren't that that I knew of at the time. You couldn't play up to B and C easily right. that I knew of. So I like didn't want to spend a bunch of money and then find out I couldn't do it. And to be honest, I didn't really care for the sound of border pipes um, when I was thinking yeah, about getting a set. I can it I just, can relate. Yeah. Yeah. They can be kind I, of harsh, I, right? Yeah. There's a shrillness to them that uh, I did not love at first, and yeah. I didn't want to spend a bunch of money on an instrument because. I wanted to have the instrument because the history of of pipers in the borders or in the border region is really interesting about like the town piper and what their role was. And that was the instrument Mm. they used. And um, it was a thing that I wanted to have to play that repertoire on that, that set of pipes, but I, it wasn't a, it wasn't an instrument that I looked forward to listening to over and over and over again, you know? Um, but anyway, so as I was kind of hemming and hawing about this, you know, on microphone for the podcast, uh, right. Th- Charles, thinking about maybe selling a kidney to, to get the money together, right. that kind of stuff. Man, <laughs> I had a, well, that's a digression, but I, have you ever been, has anybody, have you ever tried to cancel a subscription and like one of those things where you have to call in and somebody tries to bully you into oh, yeah, selling yeah. parts of your body in order to keep it. Like <laughs> I, I tried to cancel an Xbox Live account when I was in college and the guy was yeah. like, I don't know, have you thought about donating blood? Seems pretty stupid <laughs> to get rid of your Xbox Live account. Like, dude, I don't even play video games anymore. <laughs> Could you I harvest some of your own biomass? <laughs> mm. <laughs> right. right. Anyway, so John Charles is like, hey, man, yeah, yeah. I have this uh, this set of border pipes that I'm not playing because I currently live in an apartment and they're yeah. a little too loud for that. And I won't be able to play them for like a year. Do you want to borrow them? And I was just like blown away. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, no, no, I guess. I don't know that anybody's <laughs> been that generous to me. So no is my default answer. Yeah. Um, but I didn't say that. And he sent them to me and they were they're amazing. I fell in love with them. You know, they're um yeah, so I that meant that I tried to be sure to be playing a Dixon tune on like every episode of the podcast mm-hmm. while I had these pipes for a short period of time, and um, it was it was really cool. I uh, I wanted to just drive them back and like give them to to John Charles, and so the, like the last, of course, the last couple of days that I had them, I started playing a lot a lot on them and kind of really falling in love with them and figuring out how to get up to high C and stuff like that, and yeah, um, and this tune, John Charles's Fireproof Pipes, just like that was a tune I was playing on the, on the border pipes a lot. Yeah. And 
um, and I wanted to like give him something, you know, like here's a tune, um, and it's you know it's a thank you tune and and all that. Ironically, I made a recording of it that I planned to use on the album, and then like I recorded kind of two or three different versions of it. Then I gave the pipes back, right? And then I realized the good recording I had, the best recording I had, left out my favorite parts of the tune. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was like, well, I got to revisit this. Um, but I don't have those pipes anymore. So it's a, yeah. so it's a tribute to a set of border pipes, but play it on Highland pipes. But it, it does, you know, my, uh, that was when my pipe chanter could like do all the things that border pipes can do really well of like getting the C and F naturals and getting up to high B and high C. Um, and even high D kind of sort of as a grace note, but I'm not sure yeah. how to do the high D <laughs> in there. It's so far up there, man. I, so, so people should get the album and there'll be links to, for where they can get it. And there are more tracks with, that feature border pipes. Um, yeah. I would like if the version we play, I'd love to play that, that Highland pipe version just cause it's got all the parts in it. If that sounds like a good idea to you.
then, if you don't mind me taking us on another just 90-degree turn, since we're talking about pipes, it's not only border pipes that we're hearing on here. We also hear some illum pipes, of course. We heard that in Mr. Preston's Hornpipe opening up there. Um, and uh, and you also have some, some illum pipes coming up in this uh, track 9, Miss Fowler's Delight, uh, yeah. f- followed by, is it pronounced the Nabob? I think it's the Nabob. It's in my the head, Nabob. And then we got Pantheon and the Oak Tree. Um, I re- that 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 tune when when the Nabob takes over, yeah. um, especially when it goes in, when it goes into that second part. Uh, man, I love that. I love. melody or the tempo or is it in the instrument what the instrument can do you know you got accidentals you got more range you got staccato what do you love about illum pipes hmm. i mean everything yeah <laughs> like, the the tone of them i really yeah it it, I, I didn't realize how important the tone was to me until um i saw somebody complaining about the tone of illum pipes i was like they're nuts <laughs> like that's right? the best yeah. part man is the uh is sort of the 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 tone of them and that like that honking, that growling kind of low yeah. D, uh, that bark is so, so satisfying. Um, yeah, the the possibilities are really nice. The the, the fact that they are challenging uh, is is kind of satisfying about them. Like there's a there's a sense of accomplishment, and like I maybe had this with Highland Pipes years ago, um, but I haven't I haven't at, at this stage in like my Highland piping. If a thing is too hard, uh, I just don't do it anymore. It's like not worth <laughs> yeah. the like. I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty good at Highland piping, and so yeah, most man, of the stuff you... that I'm looking at for like 18th century tunes are don't present much of a challenge. Like, yeah, it's pretty pretty satisfying to like play a tune, um, and uh, you know sometimes sometimes it's tricky to pull it off, um, and that that can be satisfying when you have like a really good take uh, for for me. But, but with Highland piping, there's like not only is the melody something new to like learn, but like the the way that you're gonna approach it, what kind of embellishments you're gonna do. Because I'm still learning how to do embellishments on Ellen Pipes too. Like there's mm. there's a sense of um, there's a sense of discovery for them that I don't mm. have anymore with Highland Pipes, which I, I guess is why I got so excited about high Bs and high Cs and Highland Pipes, is it was sort of doing the same thing. I'm like, I can do this? I no right, idea. right. It's something new um, after years of kind of not having a ton new. That, like, of course, one should always have the attitude of, I'm always learning, right? But 
but you know you kind of there you kind of hit the bottom of the barrel and you can improve on the things you've already learned but it's not the same as learning new things if, if right. you know right yeah but yeah i think i think that the the ability to craft a more complicated um piece of music with, with yeah. pipes and especially yeah. lately i've been um playing regulators more regulators are really hard to record um especially mm. with my my setup right now because my my chanter is quite a bit softer than the chanter that i got with the set of pipes that i have that i play so so like my my regulators aren't particularly well balanced anyway but the the one regulator that works the best is the loudest one and it uh, pretty much always blows out the the mic level <laughs> it's all you can recording. hear <laughs> yeah, yeah and and so it's hard to it's hard to make it sound musical and i i tried to like i've for i've, I've allowed it to not be perfect for the sake of the podcast but for recording an album it's sort of trickier to feel comfortable doing that but um it's kind of it's reassuring to listen back and realizing that this is not a new problem like you listen to the old wax cylinders or whatever like the, the best pipers right like yeah some of those Seamus Ennis, Willie Clancy, Lee Rawson, like all those guys when they're playing their regulators pretty often that's all you hear like the regulators yep. overpower yep. the chanter and it kind of maxes out the recording in a way that is not pleasing to the ear yeah. um but it's sort of like well no that's it like you, you feel like you're really just listening to a you're just listening to the music rather than uh, a highly polished thing you know um though if you want a highly polished thing you you, you gotta you gotta ask that uh patrick d'arcy what uh what his sound guy did to, to capture because that that uh wallop the spot album that he has yeah that i only discovered thanks to you <laughs> yeah. like he's a great piper of course but part of the part of the thing is like what, what how many microphones did the did the sound guy have on this right, set of pipes right. you know it a, seems like it's sort of normal sound. to have two like to yeah. have a mic for the chanter and a, and a mic for the drones and regs yeah but i don't I, I i tried that but i i don't have two of a similar enough microphone for that to really work like sure. a, a compressor and a condenser or whatever they're called so i think that didn't that didn't really work you, <laughs> yeah yeah uh, the, now the mechanics of the regulators is it is it basically like if you've got a drone like your typical highland drone the full length of it is going to play a d or an a or whatever it's supposed to play right. and then the regulator is a lever that when you push down on it it opens a hole further up the drone and so then the sound is coming out you know on a shorter distance and so it's making a higher sound is that is that the mechanics of how it works no that that would be uh that would that would work um but, but you'd lose that way, low sound, huh? It would, it's it way would worse up. than that. It's so much worse <laughs> than that, James. Because <laughs> like the, the regulators are basically three more chanters because they, they use a double read rather than a, a single read. Oh, do they? Um, I didn't. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know. So that. their default. So when you're when you're playing a, a full set, like the regulators are off basically until you hit the key, and then uh, and that turns a, them on. Yeah, that's the only thing oh. that'll let the, let the note out. But since it's double reads again, it's just like how much more time do we spend messing with a double read than we do with our drone reads? Right. You know, like it's oh, a man, way it's got to make pressure fickle... nutsy too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, so getting your, getting your regulator set up and getting them comfortable in the environment and like your chanter read is going to change pretty quickly from like the surrounding environment because you're playing it constantly, but your regulators only play 
you know, unless you're playing them a ton, you're going to be hitting them fairly sparingly. So they're going to change slower than the yeah. chanter does. So as your chanter is kind of flattening out or whatever, your regulators are staying sharp and not adjusting right. as fast or, or vice versa. I still have no, I, I can never remember. I had to write on my, uh, on my tuner, uh, push into flat or to sharpen or something because like I can just <laughs> yeah. never. It doesn't, it doesn't this really, is the the black magic of of uh, drone mastery or read mastery, right? Yeah, uh, yeah just just trust the wizards it. in the ivory tower. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> take your pipes before them when you need help. Uh, that's that's pretty yeah, cool. So I mean, I love the sound kind of, and. It's tricky. I like I I have watched a lot of Ilum Pipers playing, you know, and it's so like yeah. watching their their the heel of their hand, you know, rhythmically hit or push down and stuff. But yeah, that's um, I never knew that. That is interesting. Yeah, it's it's kind of it's funny because it's it's hard, it, it's hard especially when when you're first coming to Ilum Pipes, you want regulators so bad because like, you see everybody it's, do them. It's, it's a big such part a of the sound. Yeah, that chord accompaniment, all that stuff is so cool that you want it, and then. You get it, and you're like, "Oh, I shouldn't have done this to myself." Like, yeah, I, because yeah. uh, you, you almost always get them before you should. Yeah. Um, and then, like, I, I, I kind of wish I had not gotten a full set either, because like a three, three regulators is a beast to figure your your hand around. Um, I, I kind of, like the the thing of if you have one regulator, I don't think they're that hard, because uh, you know you don't have to be terribly precise in your hand placement oh sure and, you can smash um, it down and you're gonna hit it yeah and not and hit not other tempted. things <laughs> right um and then two regulators which is sort of the norm for a lot of people like there's a lot of very good ellen pipers that use a three-quarter set um and there too it's it's pretty easy to like choose one key at a time but when you got three <laughs> it's like yeah uh, there's always it's it's really hard to like hit a single hit a single key unless you're playing on the the bass that the one that's closest to your hand right um, it's it's a little tricky i've got <laughs> but, i've got to think that like this is just like accelerated the accelerated road to carpal tunnel and like cysts in your wrist and all kinds of problems just watching people like keep your fingers where they are to play on the chanter and then doing this like lateral movement with your wrist to use your wrist almost like a dexterous digit of its own, you know. Yeah, it's a... I don't think about that. Oh God. <laughs> like, do you have do you have nightmares about hand problems? Always. Like, oh man, yeah. I feel I, I talked to I talked to Camille about this too. That like I feel bad about this because I don't want to I don't want to cheapen the suffering of people who uh you know the challenge that people who like lose their legs for example have to go through. But I I you know I've done the calculations in my head and I'm like eh, my functional hands are about the last thing i would want to give up like right. i give up a lot of other bodily functions before i would give up functional hands and i have so many friends who suffer from uh focal dystonia as well where they've got all the digits but the, the digits won't do what their brain want them to oh man and it yeah it's it's the stuff of nightmares for sure yeah it's terrifying yeah. i for a while when i was younger i had this i had this idea that i should just cut I should cut my left pinky off, like as an offering, like to make sure, like I'll, I'll <laughs> lose this one now, <laughs> right? And that'll that'll mean I'm good. Like if I leave sacrifice me with the nine, pinky, I really need, <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, and I, I didn't thankfully because that would have been absurd. But also now I need it for keys. On yeah, now lines, you need but... it. That that's funny too, though, because see, when I was a kid, both my grandpas, both my maternal and paternal grandpas, they were both missing one finger from mm. different work accidents. And, uh, and when I was small, I thought that to become a grandpa, you had to give up a finger. And I did think about which one I would give up. And, you know, I was disabused of that idea before I started piping. But it had that remained true, of course, it would have been my left pinky. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Oh, man, that's funny.
Well, let me pull you over to another another tune that also features Illum pipes. This one also pulls in some whistle. And yeah. and last time we talked, we we talked a little bit about like if you had to pick an instrument, um, and you couldn't play any of the rest of them. And it seems to me, if I remember right, you thought maybe whistle would be the choice. Do you feel like yeah. that still holds true? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think well, so. I don't know. I of course um, it's it's an impossible thing to answer, right? It might change day right. to day and stuff too. Right. I I really like the convenience of a whistle. There's something charming about. Um, oh man, I was gonna look this up, and I forgot to. But um, like there's. I'm gonna look it up. <laughs> yeah, no problem. And I'll I'll cut out silence too. And I can right. also vamp for just a sec. I can tell you what we're gonna to listen to is is a uh, track eleven on the album. It's got green sleeves, which is nice because it's a familiar tune. So anybody listening will probably recognize that. Then it's got a tune called "Strip Me Naked," and anything called "Strip Me Naked," I don't, I I doubt I could be unhappy with with it no matter what it sounded like just because it's a delightful title <laughs> it's not right. the only del- delightful title on this album either i think one of them you got the c word in one of your titles here yeah um that's <laughs> yeah. always fun i remember um in one of the in one of your podcast episodes i can't remember now if it was season four or season, season five you did a tune that you you did a little translation work on it and like the translated title was something like was it shit uh-huh. james yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I immediately thought, ah, I've been using this nomer of piping Jim as like my bagpipe, you know, like my my sig- email signature for customers and stuff. I'm like, hmm, very tempting, very tempting. There's historical precedent <laughs> to change this to Pity James instead. <laughs> yeah, it was an anti-royal. Uh, I think it was an anti-royal tune. Um, yeah, that's pretty. Yeah, it's <laughs> pretty good. Well, well, we'll listen to this tune here, and 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 after it kind of plays out, I'll cut out any of this, you know, that's that's messy. And uh, after it cuts out, um, excuse me, as it kind of as we, as we fade out of that tune, then you tell me what you're looking up.
Americans. Um, mm-hmm. And like, I don't know if you've ever seen this this documentary. Like, there's a couple times where Patty Maloney will be on a TV show, and um, one of the performers from the Dubliners, I think John, I think John Sheehan is his name. That's what I was trying to look up. Um, I think John Sheehan, and they just like they they both just kind of look at each other and just pop their whistles out of their pockets like they're just <laughs> carrying around a whistle in their pocket and then they start they start playing a tune together um and that's a thing you can't do with bagpipes really uh, <laughs> very that, true that, yeah that makes whistles pretty attractive the other thing is as much as i say i like alien piping because of the challenge i hate alien piping because of the challenge ah uh, uh, sure it's, yeah it's really nice to just be able to to have an instrument that i can just confidently know like i'm just going to play this tune quick and not have to yeah. think about it too hard um, and especially when you're learning, you know, when you want to learn a melody, you know, sing it is great. Um, but for me, it's like play it on whistle a bunch and then, then figure it out. And even for, I don't know, I haven't had a good practice chanter and read combo in years. So even at this point, I'm starting to favor my whistle over my practice chanter. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I got a little while ago, I got one of those um, penny whistles that I don't know if they're still being manufactured, but they were made with like Piper's. Uh, fingering on them you know a full uh uh what would be seven holes in front and one in the back and and it was it was fine but like i'd already been playing whistle for a little while so it pretty quickly it felt like i'll just play the normal whistle right but i have been thinking about it with regard to my kids i got my two oldest practice chanters and i'm kind of using them as guinea pigs to like try to figure out a good way to teach little kids how to play practice chanters cool but i am also starting to think like maybe i should just get them whistles and maybe that's the way to start them it might be more intuitive for a kid and it might be less frustrating i don't know so much louder though that's true more painful for me and my wife that's for sure (laughs) (laughs) because that the one thing a whistle does really well is play a super loud note you didn't intend it to uh and when you're a kid and you figure out that you've got you've unlocked a new ability like right (laughs) you don't even put your fingers on the holes right you just hold it up to your mouth and blow as hard as you can yep yeah that's a good point. Check check the enthusiasm just a little bit. But but speaking of whistles, let's roll into another track, uh, track two, which which is "Larks in the Morning in a Gold Ring." Uh, yeah. Aside from I won't I won't bore you with all the Lord of the Rings imagery that plays through my head just because of the title. Um, it took me a long time to figure out why you're excited about the gold ring. Like an yeah. embarrassingly long amount of time. I was like, oh, because of the Hobbit and, and I wear rings. I wear my few passions on my sleeve. I sure do. I and it's it. hard for me to not talk it. about them. <laughs> but, I, but, uh, I, love, I guess I'll, I'll do, a, I'll do a, a, a plug here for your Patreon yeah. account. Because it's, like, it's weird because uh, I've gotten to hear all this stuff that people haven't yet. But yeah, I'll, your descriptions of tunes to, to, to Tim was, or to Timothy was awesome yeah thanks for that man join patreon folks and, and help me out but but yeah that's yeah. i felt very self-conscious about that both like am i wasting tim's time right now and then also in the editing process like am i wasting everybody's time but no. it, then then so, I, tr- I try to lean on like authenticity you know like if i really feel it then i'll really say it and if it's authentic then it's okay you know i think honestly when you sent me the video of your daughter dancing to mr preston's hornpipe like I don't know if you have this as a podcaster too, but like you wonder how people consume the stuff that we make, right? Like, oh yeah. Is it going like into the does ether? This... Like, does... yeah. Yeah. Like how is this, like, am I somebody's commute? Am I somebody's dishes? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And just, I, I kind of, yeah. So like seeing like, oh, this is bringing this, this girl so much joy that she's just spinning wildly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love it. You know, it's, that's great. That's so great to hear. And I think, yeah, when when you were describing the visions that you were getting, thinking about uh, the music and the birds, uh, it was yeah, it was great. 
Thanks for the yeah. Well, thanks. Sure. Thanks for everything. <laughs> Thank you.
little discussion and having heard Larks in the Morning and a Gold Ring, I want to know, do you have a pitch that if you were going to talk to any piper and it was like, so I, maybe, maybe I shouldn't be so interested in this, but I'm excited by the idea of like multi-instrumentalism and it mm-hmm. seems like a very natural fit for a piper to pick up a whistle. And so like, how would you pitch it to any piper? They're like, I only play bagpipes. Yeah. Should I get a whistle? What would you say to them? Yeah, I think that's, I think that's right. Like, um, because the reality is that a lot of Highland Pipers want to play other instruments and their default is to get something that is exactly the same as Highland Pipes, which is mm-hmm. why border pipes are the way they are, which is why small mm-hmm. pipes are the way they are. Um, and like, and that's fine. You're, you're playing another instrument. There's different challenges and things to learn, but like whistles is actually different. Like it's similar enough where you don't have to relearn something completely, but it, it is different. And I think it mm-hmm. will help you um, playing an instrument that is noticeably different from your main instrument has got to help you realize the possibilities of your primary instrument too, right? Like yeah. the, the, the reason, I think the reason we bend notes on Highland pipes is because of a piper being jealous of a fiddle or something, right? Like totally makes sense. Um, yes. Like, oh, I want to be able to do that too. Oh, I can yeah. do that. Yeah. Um, and the whistle does the same thing, right? Like you, you realize that um, vibrato is something that you can do on Highland pipes when you play on whistle more and realize yeah. like how effective that can be. Um, and I don't know. I mean, it's all, it's all horribly bad habit stuff that if you're really into competition um, and can't disconnect the two things, that can be bad, but I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I'm a big fan of uh, not competing. So no. <laughs> like, I'm not that was another that thing stuff. on the chat last night. Yeah. Not, and, and like, I totally agree with the line of thinking, like let's stop beating the musicality out of the music, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and of course there's, there's value to each thing and stuff. But when you brought up on that chat last night, you, when you said something about like, um, oh, now I can't remember exactly what you said, but it, it was to that too. And it was like, competition potentially ruining music even though it maybe preserved it in some way you know and like yeah kind of it, it led into the discussion of like how these older collections of tunes like it was what what's written down is only one way it might have been played it would be played a bunch of different ways and i just kind of laughed and like yeah jeremy woods <laughs> jeremy would say something about competition ruining music <laughs> you know <laughs> oh man i don't i don't remember a lot of things i said last night uh, <laughs> it, it wasn't I, I like harsh saying, or anything at all you know? yeah i remember saying something about uh doing it different and the guy that that teaches bagpipe performance at carnegie mellon was the one that said well yeah but don't do that if you're gonna go you can't do that <laughs> yeah um, well again different strokes for different compete? folks right different focuses yeah. right <laughs> it's 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 something that really frustrated me um even before i started doing the podcast was how like if you wanted to change it everybody that wants to change how highland piping works you have to first win all the medals and then yep, people yep. will listen to you like yep. that's the case with alan mcdonald that's the case with barnaby brown like matthew welch even like you don't you don't get to your opinion doesn't matter uh, mm-hmm. unless you've already won in the restrictive system that we're all kind of living through if you want to compete um, i i, 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 I felt is... a little bit that way when some of fred morrison's tunes started getting through into competition circles like mm-hmm. it's like he's always these tunes have always been great so right. <laughs> why did this have to happen, you know, for right. this additional attention to be focused on them? Yeah. But yeah, so I don't know. So whistles, I think, um, you know, treating treating bagpipes as a musical instrument rather than a tool for competition and band stuff is, I think, easier if you play other instruments and take those lessons to it. And it's harder if you want to, you know, if you just want to play another instrument so that 
you know, you can have an easier to play set of bagpipes, um, which I think is why a lot of people go to small pipes. But the, the irony here is that people, a lot of people that make small pipes are making them for Highland Pipers and they make them way harder than they need to be. Um, right. Way Catering to the players. Yeah. Right. Um, the, the first set of small pipes I bought took more energy to play than my Highland pipes. And I was mm. like, I was so disappointed. Like I wanted, I wanted a set of pipes that I could play when my cheeks went out, you know, from, sure, from yeah. Highland piping. And then, uh, and I didn't, I didn't think to get a bellow set and I got a set of shepherd small pipes. They're like Highland musette thing. And mm-hmm. it was like, Oh no, this blows my embouchure out faster. Like <laughs> even I, faster. This well, is, it's, they make like, them with a smaller blow pipe too, right? So you have to like purse your lips even tighter. Yeah. Smaller blow pipe. And then the, it was interesting. I, I traded those, I traded that set of pipes to a guy for uh, the set of Denny, I think Denny hall small pipes that I play now, which are way easier to play. Um, but the, but he, he was he was tinkering with them and took them apart and like he just he drilled a couple extra holes in the mm. the like main stock so that air could get to the drone faster oh, and, yeah. and it was like way less pressure so it's it's artificially made like it's more yeah. difficult than it needs to be through these artificial like kind of restrictors uh, I guess all of it is manufactured and artificial that's a weird way to put it but um, but yeah I, I, anyway so what, so what you mean like, is clear yeah I see what you mean yeah. Yeah, yeah the, uh, the 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 first set of small pipes I ever had, I actually altered to make them harder because <laughs> I was coming off of Highland pipes, and I was like, oh, yeah. I keep blowing these reeds out, you know, and so I extended some tubes and made the reeds harder and stuff to make it so I could just keep playing at my Highland pressure. Huh? Yeah, it's weird. It's so weird. that was years ago. I've 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 since seen the light, but uh, yeah. That was... Well, it's it's like one of the I, I don't listen to um, I don't I don't listen to Piper Dojo. Uh-huh, Andrew often. Douglas, yeah. Um, but when I do, I'll, I'll like go in fits and starts for, for whatever reason, like it just doesn't get served up to me on my podcast app or whatever. I listen to mm-hmm. much other stuff and I miss it. But, um, one of the things I really have enjoyed when he does these long form conversations, uh, did a couple of those last year and like, there's a big part of it that is this idea that you have to play a hard read to get good tone yeah, or to, right. to be a good piper. If you read, if, if somebody comes and plays your pipes and they can do it easily, that somehow reflects poorly on you. Like mm-hmm. it's gotta be hard. Uh, like this weird masculinity thing attached to it. And like, no, you can make good music with a, with a easier read. It's not, it's not yeah. required to be busting your gut to, to do it. But yeah. Know. You know, I, that, that was made really clear to me a few years ago. Speaking of reenacting, there's a, there's a sort of like 4th of July time, semi reenactment um like fair kind of thing that happens at a park that's just a half block from my house every year okay. and uh and a friend of mine and I were at, and played pipes there um kind of as a side attraction and I was just busting my guts I hadn't been playing for a while and I had a new read in and it was just killing me and we were taking turns doing solos and uh I was dying and so he was like oh, I should play on my pipes and this this friend of mine uh Zach who I've mentioned before who passed away yeah. a little while ago he easily the best piper i've ever known personally competing yeah. in grade one and stuff just really really good I, I blew up his pipes and it was like playing a practice channer they was just <laughs> it was just smooth as butter like so easy and i had to back way off you know so it took some adjustment but it felt so easy and that was when i was like if a if a piper who's this good has his own setup to be like this then why why am i you know giving myself a hernia you know right Right. And, like, to some degree, it does require a, a, a skill set, right? Because then it's delicate. So if you blow too hard, you know, it's harder to keep it um, steady. But you can develop that skill set. And it opens up sort of, like, more more freedom for, for quicker fingers and for, I don't know, uh, 
maybe more mental freedom too, just to think about your music instead of surviving. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, so much of it is like you play better if you're more relaxed, right? Like if you're yes. not death gripping your chanter and if you're not, you know, having to, you know, burst blood vessels in your arm to yeah. pull, the, pull the thing down. But yeah. Well, um, I don't mean to just make you muse on, uh, on, on non-pipe stuff, but it's related to, I'm thinking like, we're probably reaching a decent episode length here, uh, yeah. especially once I cut in the, the tunes themselves. Um, yeah. So I'm thinking maybe we could go out on track 18, Little Bower, mm-hmm. um, which has, oh, wait, now is it, now I suddenly can't remember. Are you, is it singing only with drones or does the border pipe chanter come in as well? It comes in afterwards, yeah. It does come so in afterwards. I sing okay. the song and then play it on, on Channer too. And you've done this before. I remember in an episode, um, one of your podcast episodes, you sang the, the words for, a, I think it was a Peabrook, wasn't it? Um, yeah, Macintosh's Lament. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That changed that tune for me. Hearing, yeah. hearing not only having, it's not the same to just read the lyrics. Like hearing it sung and then going into the pipe music, it, it changed it. And so I wonder if I could get you to, um, you know, pontificate a little bit more about why does it matter to sing pipe tunes? If there are lyrics, do the lyrics matter? Because it also occurs to me, you mentioned in another episode, there was that tune, uh, the goats, the goats, the night we had the goats, the goats. <laughs> yeah. You're like my, my sister-in-law brought this up just a little while ago. I watched a little, uh, a little concert that um, was happening. Oh, I can't remember now where exactly it was, but it was a small piper and an illum piper and uh, I think a fiddler slash flutist, flautist. Um, and, and they were, and my sister-in-law had watched it as well. And she texted me afterward and she was like, there was this one tune that was just beautiful and it was like putting me in the mind of like you know ireland and like just like lovely images it was so pretty and then they they then they said what it was about it was about a cat trying to decide if it was going to go in or out of the back door and it was like <laughs> if i'd heard those words in gaelic i would have thought that they were like some some deep beautiful wisdom but knowing right. the translation ruins the song and so like what is it does it matter is it always good is it sometimes bad tell me about like why it matters to sing pipe tunes yeah, I think so. With, with Macintosh's lament, uh, that really helped to understand, you know, that it's a lament, you know, and and how it works. And that tune in particular is um, it's a keening tune, right? So it's like it's one of the older Peabrooks, probably, and is kind of part of this um, funeral tradition of like having people kind of wail and and sing these laments mm-hmm. at, at the graveside. And for for me, like. I kind of had the same experience that your sister-in-law had of like hearing somebody sing in, in Gaelic just always sounds mystical and magical. Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes the, the, the funny, I mean, it's, it's kind of great that it's about a cat coming and going, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, it, it kind of speaks to the, the sense of humor um, that people have too. Right. Which is, which is nice. But the, but the lament, yeah, that, um, that Macintosh's lament tune hits hard you know like it does actual, yeah uh it was sort of the hardest cut that i made on the uh the next album was like i gotta cut this out it's too long and it's uh and it's a lot of it's then i i go into like just playing it as a pbrook and uh yeah my, my wife recommended she really liked mrs or mr preston's hornpipe which is why it became track one and she really didn't like listening to Macintosh's Lament, which really? is why it got cut. Yeah, wow, she likes my singing know, okay, but she's like, "This yeah. is pretty sad and long. I don't know." <laughs> it's like, yeah, may- may- maybe, maybe as a, a single, huh? Maybe really, yeah, maybe as a single. Maybe. Yeah, uh, but the, um, but yeah, so I, I think it's it's good to know the whole story, right? Like it's yeah. it's okay, it's okay not to, you know, like your sister in law's not wrong. Where like, well, knowing the story can sometimes ruin it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's, I think it's good to kind of know everything that's going on and, um, 
for me anyway like i, I want to know what i'm playing and what it's about and how it works and yeah um i'm i'm excited by um there's a lot of people that are kind of working on on gaelic um i'm like learning scots gaelic that i interact with now and like sing in scots gaelic and are, are doing stuff like that but it's not it's not a language i have and mm-hmm. um it was a language that was really important to me to learn I, it felt like um I felt weird uh, in college because I was spending all this time learning uh, like an endangered language that I had no relationship to other than being in love with the language. So as Mm -hmm. I was doing that in college, I was like, okay, so I'm going to learn Ojibwe and then I'm going to learn Gaelic. Like that'll be next step is to like learn this other endangered language that I should be invested in its survival. Um, And then I found out that like, whatever, genealogy, your ancestors and all that sort of is a mixed bag of like, this doesn't really matter. Um, Uh Like I'm I'm not Scottish. I'm an American that happens to have a easy, easy, easy little bit of Scottish ancestry. Uh, But I realized that like my Scottish ancestry were, were Scots, like not Gales, like they would have spoke Scots Mm -hmm. (laughs) and not Mm -hmm. Gaelic. Um, So my motivation to like, I'm going to go to Sabalmore Osteg and, you know, learn Gaelic kind of went away. Um, but mostly, anyway, so so singing, Macintosh was a minute, it was important to me to like sing it in English, uh, rather yeah. than try to figure out how to sing it in, uh, in, in Gaelic. And because it means more to me to know what those words are. Um, and to me as well, because it, that's yeah. my native language as well. And so like, I'm sure if you'd sung it in Gaelic, it would have been beautiful. But the, the, the thing that happened in me that changed that tune for me going forward wouldn't have happened if I hadn't understood the lyrics. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's also really interesting to me. I don't. I, I don't know where you stand on Pebrock, James. Uh, it seems like sometimes you talk converted. about it as the dumbest thing ever, uh, <laughs> and sometimes it seems like you maybe are coming around to liking it. And yes, uh, I just I just want to be totally honest that like because <laughs> I feel like some people some people are very hipster about it. They're like, oh, I love Pebrock. Pebrock is the best thing in the world, and I'm like. Okay, no, you know that it's boring. Don't try to, you know. But some people talk about it and it's like, no, I can tell that this person really does love it and they understand the form, you know. And so I just want to be totally honest. Like, I do feel like I've been converted to it and I do love it. I still don't understand it well. But I, right. I want to be totally honest. I used to have no use for it whatsoever. Right, right. Yeah. It's the, well, the interesting thing to me about the song version of Macintosh's Lament is the, the song is like the third variation like the the Mm -hmm. melody that you're singing is actually the it's like the third variation of the pbrook so it's not even the ground which is Mm where i would have assumed the melody or the song would be is in the ground but it's it's kind of interesting that it's the third variation to me it was all um yeah have have we talked about that how that was like my favorite tune my like in my childhood no don't think favorite my favorite tune was Androk Big and I didn't realize it was a Pibrock. And when I started playing it by oh, ear, right. yeah. um, somebody was like, Oh yeah, that's a, that's a cool tune. You're playing Pibrock. I'm like, no, Pibrock's dumb. It's boring. Yeah. This is this, is this <laughs> awesome song from brother. Yeah. We talked about this. About brother. You did yeah. mention it. Yeah, yeah. that's right. <laughs> uh, I haven't had the same experience. I wish that I'd had a Pibrock embedded in me somewhere and then was able to rediscover it, but no, it's, sometimes it's taken work. But honestly, like when I was a, when I was like a, like a preteen, my dad was really into reggae and hmm. and I didn't love reggae. Like he was into it enough that he'd gone he'd taken a semester off school and gone to Jamaica for a for a music festival and stuff like that. Oh, cool. And as I was transitioning from preteen to teenage years, like I wanted to like the music that my dad liked. Uh, hmm. maybe because of our rocky uh, our maybe our, our relationship was rocky otherwise, so I wanted to have something <laughs> sure. in common, you know. But I remember like making myself listen to 
reggae like it was work you know sure <laughs> and it eventually clicked and today it's certain like i mean it's my one of my very favorite genres of music you know yeah and i feel like i'm experiencing the same sort of process with Peabrook. like i want to like it and so i am going to listen to it and read about it and uh especially hearing it sung and hearing it with orchestration backing it up yeah. things like that helped me a lot as like kind of crutches to get into the sort of what you might call the plain vanilla of just yeah. a pipe playing um people. have you listened to alan mcdonald's album um it was um god what is it called now you should check it out anyway i feel like um, i've seen some of his stuff on youtube yeah he he put on an album uh barnaby brown and him kind of worked on had worked on several things and kind of the goal is to change um or not change but to kind of honor the older style of playing Peabrook and um so he's got this album which the name escapes me completely right now um well yes I did just look yeah he had I've seen a video of his on YouTube where he's doing he's got like a choir backing him up doing Peabrook oh cool but um yeah I've got I've but, got him all googled um, up right now so I'll yeah uh Dace, Dace Trim or something like that um Anyway, it's but he sings it. He sings he sings the the grounds a lot, and then mm. transitions into to piping. And it's it's a really good it's a really good way to like hear Peabrock a different way and enjoy yeah. it. Um, I think. And honestly, you might be at a disadvantage. Um, <laughs> I mean, the way that I came to Peabrock as an adult when I realized what Peabrock was and that I that I actually didn't hate it um, was sort of getting myself into a. Um, uh, getting myself into a compromised state, I guess, is how uh, I could describe yes. the amount of whiskey involved. Um, but, you know, my, my only really... option there is like sleep deprivation or something. <laughs> right, right. So, um, but that, that really helped to like, really to, to kind of treat it like a trance. But I, I think there's a, there's a reality where the way that Peabrook is performed, I really like competition Peabrook, like the way that it's played. I maybe like it more than some of the more historic historic mm. ways where it was like played a little bit faster and um i so i wish that there was a way to do competition style pbrook but where you could choose the variations you wanted and not have to play the thing from start to finish because mm. i don't think people did you know when when pbrook was at its finest i don't think that there was uh it wasn't the norm or it wasn't required to play every variation you know like you kind of sure. it was a list of things to choose from um and maybe you wanted to progress through these these movements like that's definitely potent you know like to play everything but um it's i think it would be just as potent to do like well here we'll do the thumb variation and then the tarlua one of my favorite things to do is to play a tarlua singling and then the kronlua doubling and like not go through the exhaustion of doing a tarlua singling and doubling and then a kronlua singling and doubling because those parts are almost always identical except for yeah. the embellishment it's like well why are we doing this <laughs> like, yeah let's just it make a kronlua is more especially when each is repeated it's like right. we're gonna basically right. do this four times really <laughs> yeah <laughs> you hearing this guy he's still doing this yeah but it's like uh it's funny um you know that that timothy uh that 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 album of you know the birds like oh yeah the yeah, desperate the fly, desperate yeah. battle of the birds is one of my favorite pbrox to play but it's yeah. also the one that you will get yelled at for the most because it sounds like you're tuning like ah uh, uh, yes it's it's <laughs> like there's one one of the variations you're just holding a high a basically and yeah. then you you drop in the the melody notes almost like grace notes between yep. a held high a um, i i know exactly the the kind of playing you're talking about i, I have heard that yeah 
but I love it. Like if you if you're into it, if you're like if you're feeling it, it is it is really powerful. And especially like um, the high notes, that high A note meant something to to pipers and to the listeners historically. Mm-hmm. And like um, one of the things in in the intro to William Dixon's book is. Um, Matt kind of talking, I think that's in that book where he kind of talks about the, somebody playing the high A a certain way. Like that was sort of a rock star note. And yeah. in Peabrook, you kind of see that where very rarely do you get a high A in the first ground. Like it comes in as a variation later, but you don't have it. So like tunes that use a high A feel more impactful. So like Lament for the Children is this kind of mm. horrifyingly sad tune and it starts with a high A in it. And it's like, yeah. okay, we're, we're in some full on like, potency <laughs> like yeah. that, this tune is going to be so potent that mccrimmon was like we're putting a high a right now like i'm too sad to wait i'm too sad to build to this this is starting. right it's um, going to open up but, there i i love uh, hearing lament for the children with that that opening when someone's got their chandra set up so they get that scratchy high a yeah yeah i yeah i kind of miss that <laughs> like uh, I, I think it's hard to do that and do the high b stuff at the same right, time yeah all yeah. musically um, so that's, that's one thing that I've, I've definitely been like, oh, maybe I should get another, have two channers going so I can. Yeah. You just need a couple channers, man. Yeah. I've got them. I just never have more than one going at a time. Right. Right. Get them both set up. Yeah. Well, let's, let's go out on little Bauer. Uh, again, yeah. this album is excellent where we by no means have exhausted the tracks in this interview. There is a ton more on it and it's all great. That's is also the giveaway for the, for the Patreon folks this month. So everybody who's who's a patron, I, I I might bend the rules a little bit, Jeremy. If you win the copy of the album, I might do another drawing to see who else could win it instead. That's fair enough. Yeah, that's fair enough. <laughs> um, but uh, links to where you can buy it down below and and where you can hop on the Patreon as well if you want to try your luck at winning the copy that I've got here sitting in front of me. Um, anything else you want to say about Little Bower before we go into it and, and fade out? Um, I just it's a great tune. Um, it's a great collection of, of music. So the so the words, this is actually the same place where I got the words for Macintosh's Lament that we talked a lot about. This is a P-Rock episode now, James, sorry. Um, yeah, no but, uh, but But yeah, so this is a, a collection of tunes from I think around 1812. And interestingly, the guy who collected these tunes, um, I think he taught, he taught Sir Walter Scott music. Like he was, mm-hmm. um, he, had, he had some role in like educating Sir Walter Scott. So there's kind of a, a big... Uh, interesting music collection but yeah lovely stuff he had a lot of tunes from the borders and again because i wanted this album to be more borders uh, centric um that's why it's in there but, yeah. oh will you walk the world lady oh will you walk the In the wood, the glass, the wind blows on the leaves. And when I gaze a little bower, it shall not be revealed. The stag bells on my hills, lady, the heart that on the hand. My flocks lie in the border dale, my steeds outstrip the wind. They blast on my bugle horn a thousand times the call. Oh, give me a little bow with 
Be in mind when in that lonely bower we met at eventide. I kissed your young and rosy lips and wooed you for my bride. I saw the blush break on your cheek, the tears stand in your eyes. Oh, could I ween, fair Lady Jane, that then you Sir, say I rue that day, and said I yet may do. He thought me on my maiden love, nor yet my rosy hue. He thought me on my bridal bed, ne vow nor tear of mine. He thought about the lands and earth, and how they might be thine. Away, away, you false woman, and bear my bosom ring. There is a burden to yon bower, again you heard it sing. Red grew the Douglas dusky cheek, each and his eye away. A golden hilt fell to his hand, what can the wee bird say? Purpled on the bound, sang, Always me, dame, for thee, and ways me for the comely night that sleeps beneath the tree. His cheek lies on the cold, cold clay, no belt, no brand as he. His blood is on a kinsman's spear, always dame, for thee. My omen lie in the wood, lady, my steed stands at the tree, and ye mandri a doofal weird, o mountain fly with me. What gars cover up yeoman rights of fast and belt and steel? What gars a jod and mount a steed and scour or moor and dale? Why seek they up by little ford and down by Ferris Lynn? The heiress of the lands and earth is lost to all her kin. How lang, lang may her mother greet down by the salt sea fame. And lang, lang may the Maxwells look upon the bright coming. Lang may every Douglas rue and ban the deed for aye. The deed was done that little bower about the break of day. Oh, you walk the wood lady. Oh, uh -huh.